I think uh, anyone can actually be a victim of domestic violence. It knows no barriers, right, right. you know. Um, it, it can happen to anybody in any type of relationship that we were just kind of talking about. And I think we would be remiss as a society um, to not acknowledge that because I think then we lose that opportunity to really maybe help somebody. Welcome to Shop Talk, where we will discuss all things Scottsdale Police, answer your questions, and bring you updates and other news from around the department. Now, here are your hosts, Chief Jeff Walther and Sergeant Kevin Kwan. Kevin, happy fall. Welcome to uh, this fourth episode of Shop Talk. I'm Chief Jeff Walther, and my favorite sidekick that we joke around, we call Robin. Robin. <laughs> Sergeant Kevin Kwan. Uh, this has been a pretty exciting. We uh, this is our fourth episode so far in the uh, month of October. A lot going on. The weather. I'd love to say that the weather is mostly or sorta started to cool down a little yep. bit, but not a hundred percent. But uh, great to everybody have everybody here and listening. Uh, this has turned out to be something that we have uh, Kevin and I have both really enjoyed. Had, had already had some wonderful guests and answered a lot of questions out from the citizens. And uh, having said that now, I think we're going to make a little bit of a turn on this one. We, we have some questions that we um, will get to for the month of November, uh, likely. Uh, but this month is something different for us. We're going to do something a little bit different. A little tweak. Yeah, a little... Uh, little different and and uh it's not halloween related right it's not we're not talking about halloween um and how phenomenal it is to dress up like a police officer go around and get a candy and get the sugar rush did that once yeah i bet you i bet you did um uh, <laughs> that was last year uh but rather we want to focus Might on the been. theme of the month and what chief what is our theme of the month for october this month, and, and uh, there's no getting around it for our audience, this one's going to be uh, a little serious, but I think it's going to be very informative. Uh, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and yes, every once in a while on our podcast, you should expect to hear something very, uh, very much related uh, to things that we do, things yeah. that we investigate, crimes that we investigate. And so uh, it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and we have two great guests with us, Kelly Wills from our Police Crisis Intervention services and detective jared clark from our domestic violence unit are here in the studio and we're going to wind up asking them a number of questions so fortunately there uh, our audience will hear less of you yep. Juan, yep. um and they'll hear more of our guests and some great questions and you know I'm, i apologize you know that's just me deflecting I, I, i'm kind of used to it by now so i just kind of roll you with are it and you're a terrific sidekick that's why I, i'm robin yeah <laughs> so yellow tights and all um all right, Chief, you mentioned uh, PCIS and, and Kelly Wills. Can you give us a little brief overview of what, what PCIS is and what it does for the department? And then we'll kind of ask Kelly, and she can give us some really, really good answers. I started here 27 years ago, and uh, PCIS was already a major institution. Um, that was 1994, and PCIS was already um, well-founded and doing incredible things for, well, the better part of 20 years um, already then. And so... PCIS, so I can give you just kind of my perspective, and then Kelly can can talk about um, the ins and outs of it. But um, we are unique. Scottsdale PD is unique and and has been unique since the mid '70s, related to how we deal with folks in crisis and how our patrol officers, how our detectives, in dealing with folks in crisis, have an immediate internal asset in the organization to deal with those folks in crisis. And uh, it is an amazing, uh, and it's grown in size uh, over the years, but it's an amazing group of mental health professionals 
uh, that are police department employees. And uh, we'll respond, and I think we were talking to Kelly before we, before we got rolling today about her not eating any, eating any dinner last night because she was out on a call um, supporting our folks and dealing with folks in, in, uh, in crisis. And I know last night in particular, was, uh, there was a lot of crisis there. And so um, it, it's amazing, whether it's uh, death, death notification, uh, suicide, violence, uh, uh, serious car, uh, car crash. It's just anybody who's in real crisis that our patrol folks or our, uh, our detectives can um, have PCIS come on the scene and start really helping to provide resources uh, in the community and, and just to really help those people who are having the worst day of their life. And so we are absolutely blessed. We have been blessed my entire career to have PCIS uh, embedded in the organization. And it shocks me to this day uh, that there are police departments across this country, across our state, that don't have, still don't have, of their own internal police crisis intervention service. And Kelly, if you want to go into just a little bit more gritty detail about kind of what you guys do and how you support the police department. I mean, uh, we deal with you, uh, you guys a lot on patrol and in detectives, but what is your background in, and how did you get into this? Oh, thank you, and it's so wonderful to be here with all of you today. Um, my background, I went to ASU, and I have a Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology, and then I went on uh, to get my master's degree in counseling from the University of Phoenix, and I've been with the city of Scottsdale with the police crisis intervention section for almost 19 years now, and I absolutely love it. Just like the chief was saying, we get to do so many um, amazing things and opportunities to work with people um, who are experiencing quite a bit of trauma and sometimes having the, the worst day of their life. And we're able to kind of intervene. And we definitely work as a team approach here in Scottsdale for the, P the police department, which I love. I have my role, the detectives have their role, um, the crime scene specialists have their role, and we all work together to best meet the needs of the victims. And I work out of the Scottsdale Family Advocacy Center, which is really cool because the center actually opened its doors in February of 2003, and I was hired specifically for that opening, and it, it really has just been such an amazing blessing to be able to work out of that center. Um, when My daily activities really just include uh, working with victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse, and I provide uh, support, education, uh, information about the criminal justice process, trauma, really whatever type of uh, feeling or questions that a victim and their families might have, um, I do my darndest really to be able to provide that kind of service to that victim in the community. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great. great. Fantastic. So we also have Detective Jared Clark, who is with our domestic violence unit. And Jared, do you want to give us a little overview of kind of your role and what you guys do back there in uh, detectives? We basically investigate any any uh, calls of domestic violence, uh, elder abuse or child abuse. Um, we go on call quite a bit. You know, once a one week a month, I'm on call, and we'll go out to major major incidents of domestic violence and investigate it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Jared. I I was a young patrol officer back. I don't know. Sadly, a lot of years ago. Many moons. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. I, I thanks. Sidekick. And one of the things that I was looking at, there were two units I was interested in. One that was just coming online was our was our heat unit, which is now uh, the unit formerly known as the heat unit, which is our street crimes unit. 
and the domestic violence unit. So I, I spent some time back in the domestic violence unit with then Detective Jen Kinsey, who was back there. And uh, wow, I, I think I worked more in the two weeks that I was back there uh, on just, just doing a lot of detective work and a lot of follow-up on, on uh, the surprising amount of domestic violence that we have, which is pretty significant. Yeah, so let's get into the questions. Um, specifically, if either of you, if you want to talk at any time, or both, just, or both at the same time, <laughs> just kind of jump in and, and we'll go with it. So our first question is, we talked about October is Domestic Violence Month, but w- what does that mean in really? Well, uh, so Domestic Violence Awareness Month actually, interestingly enough, started in October of 1981. Um, Back then, they called it a day of unity, and the goal was for all of the victim advocates that were helping um, men, women, and children who were victims of domestic violence, they were trying to end some of that violence and really promote the that this was really a huge problem in the 80s. And so by 1989, Congress passed uh, legislation that made... uh, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, a national month, to uh, basically honor a lot of the the people that have unfortunately been have died from domestic violence, and also to give survivors a voice. That's really important, you know, when uh, somebody has been abused, oftentimes they don't have a voice, and for a survivor uh, to have a voice and talk about what happened to them and how the steps that they took to leave the relationship and survive is really powerful. So I think those pieces are important during the month, but also um, to bring awareness to this issue because it is so prevalent in our society, not just here in Scottsdale, uh, but nationwide. And so um, we have things planned um, uh, for this month also to bring a little bit more awareness. And I think also to educate too is really important. I think that's an opportunity for everyone. You can jump online, you can attend a class online or a workshop, just so if somebody that you know or somebody approaches you at work who might be in a domestic violence relationship, you might know what to say or how to help that person because sometimes it's a really powerless feeling when somebody talks to you about this issue. Oftentimes you just don't know what to say or do. Right. You know, it's interesting. I think that um, we have gotten far better societally uh, than we were in 1981. And how old were you in 81, Kevin? Depends on the month. (laughs) Oh, for heaven's sake. Maybe zero. I was 11. Um, But we've gotten far better about that because it's funny when you when you're talking about it it just has me thinking back to when in Arizona we had to have the victim who wanted to prosecute and then ultimately what we found in those domestic relationships that you often had the offended party or the victim say well I I, I don't want to prosecute and it was odd to me that we didn't recognize then that that was those decisions were all fear-based and so, of course, they didn't want to participate in prosecution. And so then the state legislature thankfully took that out of their hands and said the, the state of Arizona would be willing to prosecute on their behalf, understanding the dynamics of a domestic violence relationship. So I think we've just gotten so much better uh, than we were when this first started in 1981. And we're more willing, I think you, you talked about it perfectly, which is we're more willing to talk to each other about it. And so when somebody says, hey, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm involved in this type of relationship where I'm being, um, I'm being abused, that's much more accepted today. And it was almost, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, and even into the 90s, and there's still some stigma associated with it, but it's, it's almost that 
that quiet kept dirty little secret within a family of that level of violence and it should never be and so um great great points thanks so jared i don't know if you can think about you know you have some thoughts there and, and maybe you guys can share this together but can, can you kind of give us a, a what you think of as a simple definition of domestic violence sure um in simple terms it's it's a pattern a uh, pattern of abusive behavior against another person um and this isn't an effort to maintain power and control over that person um and it's not just everyone thinks of domestic violence as intimate partners, husband, wives, um, stuff like that. But it also feeds into um, like in-laws, parents, sons, daughters. Um, and it can even feed into roommates, anyone that's basically lived together. Um, that definition fits the domestic violence um, per the state law. And it's not just um, most people think of just assault, but it's not just assault. There's also... Um, Sexual assault, criminal damage, um, stalking, child abuse, homicide, stuff like that, that all falls into that domestic violence category. Um, and all those things are used to control the victim, typically. You know, I, th I think that a lot of people listening to this will think, because you, you kind of ended up in, in those domestic relationships, you, you ended up with roommates. And can you kind of speak to that a little bit? Are we seeing that? Do you see that? Because there can be that relationship that it's that's roommates. I think most people think, well, that's either uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, domestic partner, and that's what they think of. They don't think of often. They don't think of, and I think that's why often things are underreported. They don't think about some of those other, I'll call them more secondary style relationships as opposed to um, intimate partners. Can you can either one of you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Roommates. Um, I mean, there's still two people residing together and sometimes one person wants to control the other one. Um, even if they're not intimate partners or, or related at all, they still, they share quite a bit of time together, living together. And, um, you understand when people live together, things can happen. Tempers can flare. Um, and assaults can happen just like, um, traditional domestic violence. Um, so we handle those the same way. Okay, great. So, we kind of talked about the roommate side, but who are, who are the victims of domestic violence? I mean, there, there could be a lot. You named a lot of different crime aspects in it, but where does that really come from as as the victims? I know on, on patrol and the detectives when I was back there, we there, there's so many branches of It's not just maybe the first person that's involved in it. So you want to kind of explain a little bit about that? I think uh, anyone can actually be a victim of domestic violence. Uh, it, it's interesting because when I first came to work in Scottsdale, uh, people were kind of teasing me about, oh, you're going to Scottsdale, you know, what are you really going to do there? And I really thought that was unfortunate because domestic violence, it knows no barriers, right, right. you know. Um, it, it can happen to anybody in any type of relationship that we were just kind of talking about. And I think we would be remiss as a society um, to not acknowledge that because I think then we lose that opportunity to really maybe help somebody who might be really ashamed or think I don't fit whatever that look is that people sometimes think a domestic violence victim looks like when there's really no one look. You know, you um, anybody can be a victim of a domestic violence because domestic violence, like Jared mentioned, it's about power and control. Right. And there are lots of ways you can maintain power and control over a person. Financially is one really powerful way to do it. I think that's very interesting, and it's it's funny. All of us have gotten that at one time or another. Of oh, you you know you work for Scottsdale PD. You guys don't have any crime, and uh, I I I just now I laugh have always laughed at that perception. We have as much crime um, or more than a number of other cities that we're very similar to here in the valley, 
And so it just happens to be Scottsdale's national and international reputation as a, as a great tourist destination or there are parts of our city that are affluent. And there certainly, as all, everybody knows in this, in the studio, there are certainly parts of Scottsdale that are the exact opposite of affluent. And so um, maybe we can talk about how domestic violence crosses all socioeconomic barriers. And moreover, kind of as kind of part two, although these might seem unconnected, but if we can talk about how that crosses all socioeconomic barriers, but that also is just not physical violence. That there there are other aspects of, of the power and control um, that aren't your typical forms of violence. And maybe if you can speak to both of those. So uh, domestic violence, I mean, I've personally investigated victims ranging from, you know, ho- totally homeless to, you know, high-end CEOs, male, female, it doesn't really matter. Um, it affects pretty much everybody. Nobody is immune to it, uh, no matter how much money you make or religion, anything like that. And Part of the control, um, criminal damage is a huge one that we see. People will just start breaking stuff or they'll punch a hole in the wall. Again, you're not harming the victim per se, but you are showing that power and control by breaking stuff or physically damaging stuff just to show them. We also have kids that are kind of involved in this to witness something between mom and dad. And it's very unfortunate that children are, they're victims themselves of domestic violence, just simply disorderly conduct, having to witness what's going on between mom and dad. And also people use animals, they'll abuse animals as a form of control, you know, stuff like that, not the victim themselves. And there's all, there's so many crimes that fit this category that we investigate. I think it's interesting too, because uh, the physical abuse is so important, but it's interesting when you work with victims, because oftentimes um, what's long lasting is the verbal and the emotional abuse that happens to the victims. They, they have a, um, a really hard time with somebody who over time continues to demean you and tell you that you're stupid and that um, you're unlovable and make really degrading remarks about your physical appearance. And those are the, the things that really stick with victims that make their healing really, really difficult. And it affects their self-esteem. And the self-esteem, it's kind of a vicious cycle because when their self-esteem gets lowered um, by somebody criticizing them all the time and not supporting them, oftentimes that contributes to them staying in the relationship too because oftentimes they just don't feel like they're worth enough right, right. to leave. But, but Kelly, you, you specifically... Um kind of foster a thought in my mind and it's it's this idea of a cycle and and you know typically um, we have people who get involved in a relationship be it um, call it a teen relationship or a 20s relationship or a 30s or 40s a new relationship but I think specifically about our young people and our young adults that uh, you don't it's been my perception and my experience over the years that you don't typically start being getting abused on date number one. Uh, but over the period of time, it starts with the verbal abuse you mentioned and, and psychological abuse that ultimately uh, or typically leads to then physical abuse. Can you talk about that cycle a little bit and how, it, you know, for especially for our young people and our, and our young uh, young adults, how if they're if they're in a relationship now or starting a relationship, if they're starting to see those signs, how that starts, and sadly where that could end. Right. Yes, and yeah, I 
that's such an important issue because it does affect so many of our young people. And um, there is a cycle of violence. And so what it kind of looks like is um, the, and with the cycle of violence too, sometimes it doesn't go in complete order. It depends upon the relationship. But generally you have this, what they call the tension building phase. And that's where the abuser is feeling like all of us feel, you know, stress, tension in our lives. The difference is abusers oftentimes don't have the skill set um, to manage that type of stress. And so, but what it looks like in the relationship is the abuser might begin those put downs that you were speaking of. They may begin criticizing the victim. What the victim's response to that tension building is they start to feel kind of frightened inside and oftentimes they'll start withdrawing they'll kind of we call it like walking on eggshells where they're tiptoe around trying to kind of gauge um, the abuser's mood to avoid um, any type of physical or further verbal abuse and then after you have the tension building then you have the what we call the acute explosion and that's where the abuser acts right. out physically and then um, and then you have it moves into the honeymoon period where then that's when you might see the abuser asking for forgiveness you know I'll change I'll never do that again or they physically may bring gifts, gifts. like we right. would think and the uh, the victim how that makes him or her usually feel is that they have hope because most victims love their abuser they don't necessarily want to leave the relationship they just right. want the abuse to stop right. right and so in that phase they'll oftentimes seek out counseling they'll call the police they'll what we call recant they'll ask the, the detective like detective clark um, if he can take the report away um, they may um, make up other reasons for why the abuse happened and so sometimes what happens though, what's really dangerous about this cycle though, um, in, in of itself, but over time, oftentimes that honeymoon period um, goes away right. and the abuse, uh, the physical abuse becomes more severe as you go on. But to also chief, to answer your question about young people too, is I would say if you get into a relationship, most people don't lead with the abuse, but it can look like um, jealousy, that um, is very controlling sometimes right, can right. feel like oh boy you know he or she is really um, paying attention to me and really right. concerned they called me four times today to find out where I went to lunch and who I was with so sometimes in the beginning we can mistake that for attention and love when in actuality it's really some control issues we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in we will go back to answering your questions next month if there is something you want to know please visit one of our social media pages to leave a question for a future episode. Now back to Chief Walther and Sergeant Kwan with our special guests. How much uh, issues have you guys seen kind of increasing? I mean, it is 2021 now, and with the whole advent of the smart devices and digital media and social media and stuff like that, how much have you guys seen change over the time? I mean, you really talked about a lot of it's in person, but having these intimate partner relationships doesn't necessarily mean you're you're living together. So has that really developed with the, the digital media? Yeah, it sure has. We get a lot of harassment calls where, and stalking for that matter, all the technology, you can keep track of your significant other pretty, pretty easily. Some people buy a device for the car or they'll start tracking them some other way, uh, which is super scary to the victim. And because not knowing what's gonna happen with the person following them. Um, as far as social media goes, yeah, people will, if they start feeling the breakup's coming or that's the most dangerous time in a DV relationship is the breakup if, if that's happening. And they will start just putting down the person on social media, the victim, um, start calling them all kinds of nasty names, saying kind of dirty secrets about them just so everyone can read. Um, just a form of 
that last little bit of control you can have over somebody is just belittling them and making them feel super embarrassed, terrible about themselves, uh, stuff like that. So social media has been used quite frequently by, by these offenders lately. Do you, do you happen to see that with that stance of when it goes to the social media side or, or even using the cell phone that it causes the person to want to remain in that relationship then because it's been so much blasted to everybody else and they really don't want their skeletons or something like that out there? Yeah, definitely. Um, again, it's a form of control. So they start recanting. They don't really want to because they see the breakups getting very tense and it's very hard for them that they just kind of, they want to just forget it and move on with their life and get back with the offender um, just to make everything stop just because they're ruining their other relationships outside of outside of the, um, their intimate one, basically. Have you, have you seen things get worse with uh, with social media, the explosion of social media over the last 10 years? Uh, it, it's 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 the craziest thing to me because now everybody's life is just out there for public consumption right and so have you seen things get worse and if so then jared on the on the on the prosecution side and making a case and making arrest and arrests are you seeing uh kind of that social media side and is it helping investigations at all or are you seeing more crimes that are related to social media and the explosion of social media? Um, so something that's kind of growing in popularity is humiliating the the victim to the world, um, whether it's posting, you know, pretty bad pictures about them on, on the internet, um, tagging their friends and stuff so they actually see it, uh, and their coworkers, which, you know, really puts a damper on their workplace and their, their personal life, basically. Um, so unfortunately for the victim, that's that's out there. But we do have ways to investigate these things and get a bunch of information from the the source themselves, and um, hopefully hold the person accountable, whoever's doing it. Great. And Kelly, I think you were talking earlier before we before we went on uh, recording about how during COVID this has gotten even worse. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it was interesting because COVID brought so many challenges and that was one of them because abuse rates really increased a lot during COVID because people were at home yeah. and they were having to use their social media even more than ever as a way to communicate. And we started seeing um, different forms of abuse where uh, abusers would oftentimes hold their victims kind of emotionally um, hostage by placing photos or threatening to place photos during like a Zoom professional meeting that they might be attending that wow. would be incredibly embarrassing and humiliating for the victim. Wow. You know, and here I I was actually enjoying some of these Zoom meetings and uh, Microsoft Teams meetings that, you know, that, uh, that made my day go easier as the police chief. And now I, I'm going to see... Zoom meetings in a whole different because I never uh, honestly and I've, I've been a cop for 27 years I just never really thought about that angle related to COVID and how many meetings are virtual and how uh, as Jared you talked about that kind of that power and control how you can then use that platform or those platforms as control mechanisms through the hu use of humiliation or, or threats just I don't know. Until our discussion aren't here, I just didn't really think about that. So, so if someone is uh, kind of experiencing something like that, what happens if the police get called? I mean, I know from our perspective, but kind of inform our listeners about what are what are some of the first steps. Um, so, domestic violence um, is again the state has back in the day it used to be seen as a family matter, and the police would go go to the call, keep the peace, and then basically leave. Um, where nowadays it's different. Uh, the state 
takes control if the victims want to prosecute. Um, we'll do so for them just to help break that cycle that the victim is experiencing. Um, were you kind of asking about if cops get called to a scene or like an in-progress call? Yeah, kind of anything. I mean, I mean, there's we we often get called to a scene that may not seem domestic violence related, but through our investigations may end up that way. So what are some of the steps that that somebody can expect to see if uh, if we show up? So if the, if the police go to a call um, and there is a domestic violence crime that is basically known to have happened or it's called probable cause, right? Um, so if the officers determine there's probable cause of a domestic violence crime occurring and the offender, they know that they're the person that did it, um, most likely we'll make an arrest um, and we'll take that person to, uh, to jail to see a judge and kind of start that process, trying to break that cycle for the victim. Um, what happens that, if you don't see it? What, 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 do you, what do you guys typically do with it? So everything is documented. Um, if we don't reach that point of probable cause, we'll usually refer them to, to Kelly's group, uh, PCIS, and they will work with the victim, try to get them help. They'll work with the family. Um, every domestic violence call, uh, officers do what's called a risk assessment. Well, they'll ask a series of questions to the victim to see what the potential risk is of future, future happenings. Um, and if they meet a certain threshold, it goes right to the PCIS group, and they will get with the victim and offer all kinds of services, services to them. Do you see my point when I mentioned earlier that it, it's uh, I've been spoiled. We've all been spoiled uh, over the you know since the 70s. When I look at when police departments don't have a PCIS, and so Jared, all the things that you're talking about that we've just taken for granted that we just have gotten used to. Of, hey, we're going to take this risk assessment, or if we don't quite have a crime, we're still going to forward just that information onto PCIS, and they'll do follow up and offer services. And, and so I think that's a that's a, an, an area where I think other a lot of police departments nationally are falling down in that because they get lost between the cracks. Where's if there's no crime um, or the risk assessment doesn't reach a certain level, then it stops. And a lot of places it just stops where we pick that up and run with that. And so that's that's amazing to me. So Kelly, I'm going to throw one question kind of in your direction because in, in my experience, we all hear, we get one question. When we talk about domestic violence, and I think Kevin alluded to this earlier when we were talking about the cycle of violence, the question that comes up from people in very healthy relationships is, why stay? Can you kind of talk to that and the psychology behind that and why people stay. Sure. And you're, you're absolutely right. I think that's one of the biggest questions, isn't it, about um, domestic violence victims. And I think it, it, it's never easy to leave a domestic violence relationship. It's a decision that victims really think a, a lot about. And they take the steps um, before they actually leave that they don't tell the abuser about that they're going to leave. Right. And part of it is, I think Jared or you, Chief, mentioned earlier, is that that's the most dangerous time for a victim to leave a relationship. Um, it's the most dangerous time when they do leave. And so some of the reasons that a victim stays, one is fear. Sometimes they're just fear of the unknown right. and some of that self-esteem that we talked about earlier. Sometimes they just don't feel that they have uh, the confidence or the skills uh, to be able to leave the relationship and to be able to manage on their own. And some of it's embarrassment and shame. Right. You know, they just really... Um, Sometimes they haven't told anybody that they've been in a domestic violence relationship until they leave. They worry about um, not being judged by the police department, which 
I'm biased, obviously, because we have such a great group here. Um, but oftentimes they've had negative experiences with other police departments, right, right. and they worry about that. The other part is love. Um, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of times victims still love their abusers. They just want the abuse to stop. And they have kids in common oftentimes, and they feel guilt about taking that person away from their children. They really struggle with that. And um, the other part that comes into play too, and we have this a lot in Scottsdale, uh, because we have such a great uh, group of such diverse citizens here in the city of Scottsdale from my perspective. Right. But one of the issues that I've seen a lot when I, in my work with victims of domestic violence is that threat of their immigration status. I've seen that. It's a, that's a great point. Um, have you also seen, too, and we talk about, I think, fear, um, fear in particular, fear, shame, and, and then where, where a victim sees it as it's their fault. Somehow, and Jared, I think you, you really hit on kind of the power and control that when you've, when you've been subjected to that power and that control and that fear and intimidation for so long, um, there's a psychological effect to that is where you then say, it must be my fault. It's something that I'm doing. And that, that keeps, and, and then you throw the immigration status in the mix of it. It's just all about that, that fear and intimidation, that which, which makes it very difficult. And why we're fortunate to have PCIS uh, as our, as a, you know, kind of the partner for us in our, in our two-pronged approach, our three-pronged patrol detectives and then police crisis intervention. So... So it's a great transition, Kelly, if you want to kind of explain uh, what are some of the resources that are available to our victims? A lot of times victims, they need shelter They because when they get, they're prepared to leave, they may not have the financial resources um, to go uh, rent an apartment or do, make those kinds of steps um, to, to have themselves feel safe. So oftentimes they want to go into shelter. There is a shelter hotline we have here in our county. Um, it's called Safe DV Services. Um, you can call that number at 480-890-3039. And Safety V Services is a 24-hour line. They'll answer the telephone, and they won't just help a victim and if that victim has children find shelter, but they can also refer them for counseling services or any other type of need that they might be experiencing. They will link them up with other people in Maricopa County, which is pretty neat. Um, and then another one is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. That hotline right. has been around a really long time. Um, it's also a 24-hour hotline. It's 1-800-799-7233. And I also want to note, too, that they have a fantastic website. If you get on their website, it's www.thehotline.org. A tremendous amount of resources for not just victims, but for all of us in the community, too, being able to recognize the signs, being able to support a victim right. who's in crisis. It's a really great website. Um, but also, um, we also have our police department. We're also a resource for everyone Absolutely. in the community. Um, we have wonderful domestic violence unit. We have our police crisis intervention unit. We also have great victim advocates that work for our Scottsdale City Court. Yes. And we work cohesively with them too. We actually attend a monthly meeting called the Domestic Violence Action Team where the victim advocates are present, a county attorney is present, Jared and his group is present. And we talk about the different um, situations in our community where people are at risk and how we can all work together cohesively as a team um, to help that either an individual or the family suffering abuse those are great resources um and well i think i'll, I'll, I'll wrap up 
a little while here and we'll talk about a little bit more just some some things that kind of bolster what Kelly's talking about uh Jared just kind of if you I don't know if you have the specific numbers maybe you know just from terms of caseload or anecdotally I saw some numbers from our organization not too long ago that talked about the increase in domestic violence uh since COVID you have everybody who's kind of they were locked down for a period of time people were home people were working from home did you see your caseload go up did you see um, those numbers go up I had gotten an anecdotal number of that we we thought we were seeing about a 30 percent increase in, in domestic violence in the city I'm just curious from your own personal perspective if you've seen those numbers go up yeah I know we've had a lot of cases kind of stemming from people being together so much um, with COVID, no one's leaving their house right now. Um, they're starting to now, but you know, back mid COVID people were staying home and they were just getting get in each other's nerves and start just, you know, fighting, arguing, stuff like that. Um, one of the sad parts of COVID was when the, the schools were shut down. Um, a lot of children weren't going to school and that was who would report these things to the children. So child abuse in the home, um, they lost that ability to tell a teacher or tell a principal or tell a nurse um, what's going on. That was usually where they reported it. So actually our child abuse cases went down a little bit um, just because of the reporting person isn't there anymore because they're at home, you know, stuck on doing online school. Um, but luckily with kids going back, now they have that safe place. They can talk to somebody. If something's going on in the home, we can investigate from the school. Um, but yeah, they went up quite a bit during COVID, just people just being at home all the time together. Yeah, and I hope that uh, as we kind of move through this and the Delta variant and the Mu variant and all these, that, that we can continue to, to you know, to head down uh, this path where we, we kind of, you know, are out and live our lives so that, uh, you know, people can get out from under one another and, and, uh, and we can all kind of uh, get back to, I, I hate to say get back to normal because I don't think any of us is normal right now. Uh, but uh, just get back to a place where we're not, where we're treating each other better than we were during COVID. And so, uh, the idea behind this, uh, and I, I very much appreciate you taking time out of your day to to spend with us, because the idea of October and domestic violence is the awareness part of that month, um, of that equation. And so, really, uh, I, I know that this this topic uh, gets attention. Uh, but it doesn't get enough attention. The work that you're doing doesn't get enough attention. Um, and sadly, uh, as far as I think we've come since 1981, uh, I still think we have a long way to go. And so this is about that awareness component, to get that on everybody's radar, to listen to a podcast where we discuss how can we be better. Uh, and the Scottsdale Police Department, uh, Kelly mentioned this before, uh, we see ourselves as part of the community. And as part of the community, we stand here ready and able to help out with some incredible professionals. If you're experiencing domestic violence, we want to hear from you. We want to help. We want to offer services. We want to help get you out of that, out of the situation that you're in. Um, and again, we stand ready to, to help. That's a wrap for this episode featuring Kelly Wills from our Police Crisis Intervention Office and Detective Jared Clark with the Domestic Violence Unit. Now let's close out this show with today's For Reals questions. Kevin, I think you were going to... So we're going to go into our uh, our fun section here where we kind of just get to know you guys a little bit by asking random, random questions. They're pretty this tough. Favorite, this is my favorite part of the show. They're pretty tough. Uh, Chief tends to... Um, 
embellish them a little bit, but uh, they're, they're, no way. I'll, I'll get it to you in a little bit. Okay. So, what was the last movie you saw in the theater? It's a hard COVID question is what I call it. People used to go to the movies all the time, and now they just don't. So I'm sure it was a kid-related movie. I'm trying to remember which one it was, though. <laughs> Kelly? I, yeah, I'm, I was trying to remember because I love going to the movies, and so it was really hard during COVID. But I think the last one that I saw before COVID was um, the movie Queen about the rock band. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was a great movie. Did you yes, see it, too? I saw that one with yeah. uh, Remy Malek, I think is. Yes. Yes, where he plays uh, Freddie Mercury. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. I didn't get to see that one. It was good, huh? Yeah, it was good. It was good. He he pulls it off. He pulls it off pretty well. Yeah. Jared, you just Jared? don't remember. It was like Frozen. It was so long ago. Or uh, I do remember buying Jungle Cruise recently, though. That was pretty good. Jungle Cruise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was the big purchase movie, thirty bucks on Disney Plus. That was yeah. pretty punny. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> it's a good one. Go to the next one. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite child? Oh, no, they, they probably don't aren't listening. Not so listen, it, right? it's they okay. might, you know, I don't know. Jews can't listen. Would... So I'm waiting for that, <laughs> that question. So, no, I don't have a favorite child, although my three grown adult children like to each joke around about who they think is the favorite. I don't, I, I, all, of them, all of them are different. They all have different. They're just different. They're all different. They're all wonderfully different. And so I, I, I like each of them for different reasons, but uh, I, don't have a, uh, I don't have a favorite. Most my, annoying? No. Not no. My, no. No. Okay. Not me. I'm the most annoying. No comment. Um, no. Yeah. So, no, I don't have a favorite. Favorite TV show? Whoa. This is going very visual, visual this month. I started, I know I'm kind of behind the curve, but I started getting into Breaking Bad somewhat recently. And, um, I like that quite a bit. Be careful. I heard it's like once you binge it, you don't ever stop. I was able to stop after season like two and a half. I think I stopped Straight. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like favorite TV show right now or of all time. ever? Because I know you, you did time. a lot of the uh, Mrs. Kravitz concepts that I had to look up. but I, so I use those in different speeches. So you can use a, a color TV show. will probably relate a lot more to our, our viewers than Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Second version, not the original with Lauren Green in the 80s, but the next one with James Edward Almos later on. Battlestar Galactica. A while ago. I think it, it probably maybe 04 Oh, in, in color. I thought you were going to go Stop it in way colors. back then. <laughs> really? In color? I don't know. Okay. Oh, man. Kelly? Okay. I, I also like to watch a lot of TV, too. And I've gotten into Netflix, too. Yes. Oh, gosh. Uh, so I, I like Modern Family, but it's off the air now. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if any of you saw it, but I watched Schitt's yeah. Creek. on. I think it was on Netflix. Yes. It's so funny. <laughs> and it's it's gone. I probably can't say it. It's that. not a cuss word. It's, it's yeah, actually sorry. Uh, oh, it's a family, yeah, family it's name. S- family S- name. It's S-C-H-I-T-T Creek. Up Up a creek. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up from there. Uh, be sure to follow our social media platforms for posting and resources related to the De- Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And look forward to our public service announcements coming out uh, in the not-too-distant future. About Safely Scottsdale. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll see all of our all of our listeners. We'll, uh, we'll see you. Actually, I would like to say we'll see you next month. But that doesn't, it doesn't can, apply. Please, please listen next month as well. But uh, thanks, everybody, for coming. Thank Enjoy you. Your Be safe out there.
Thank you for listening in to Shop Talk, Episode 4. We want you to know that we are always here for you. Kelly provided a few phone numbers for anyone that is looking for assistance. Locally here in Arizona, you can call Safety View Services at 480-890-3039. And nationally, the Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233. Or you can visit their website at thehotline.org. That's T-H-E-H-O-T-L-I-N-E dot org. Tune in next month where we will answer all of your burning questions. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating on iTunes. Like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you should need us, we are only a phone call away at 480-312-5000. Have an amazing day and remember to always be more.